Great. Thanks, John. I, uh, we had dinner last night, John and Doris and I, and um, I texted uh, Jonathan Wiggins. He's our kind of our, the head over all this district. And, and, uh, and I, said, I said, the Reese's are great. And uh, he texted back, yes, they are. Um, and you know this already, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's new to me because I've only known them for a little while. Um, but glad to be with you. Um, so we are part of this larger family of churches, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And you may know that. John uh, alluded to that as well. Um, So what that means is we have three words, Christian, Missionary, Alliance. So the Christian part means that we're we're committed to Jesus, and uh, the missions part, missionary part, means that it's not just about churches in our country, but it's churches all over the world, and you know this, right? You're auctioning off all these items here over the weekend because you're committed to that as well. And then this word alliance is also significant because the idea of the alliance is that we're connected with each other. So I was in a church in California, part of this Christian and Missionary Alliance family, um, and then uh, I came up uh, here two months ago, and still figuring all this out. I'm not sure I'm used to the weather. Um, everybody in my family's texting me headlines on how it's the coldest February everywhere and, or ever, and I, and I say things like, I know! Um, <clears throat> but I'm getting used to the idea and, and trying to figure some of that out. Um, uh, let's see, my wife is uh, not, she is coming up, so <laughs> John sounded like she's never coming. She is going to come up. Um, but she's down in Southern California um, figuring some things out so she can make the transition up here. Um, so, but here's what I've learned about the Rocky Mountain District. By the way, we call this a district. So I don't know if you're, what your reference is to district. Um, it's, it's the churches in the Christian and Missionary Alliance in this area. So if you think like school district or, or uh, am I doing this right? Katniss Everdeen, if that's a reference point for you. Um, uh, you got the right idea. It's this regional area. We have 60 churches. Um, Montana, Wyoming, uh, half of Idaho, and, and half of North and South Dakota. That's our whole family of, of churches. And so I've been up and driving around, and you know what happened to me? Uh, it was uh, yesterday. I heard, for the first time of being here for two months, I heard someone honk their horn. I'd never heard a horn honk up here. And I thought, they must not put them in their cars. <laughs> because in Southern California, we use them all the time. You are all just nicer up here. You're just nice. Like when, yes, yeah, you can say it. We are. You are. We are. I live here now. Yeah, you are. Down there, we're honking about everything, right? And we're waving all kinds of gestures. And, you know, it's like we're not letting you in when you want to get into the lane. We're not doing that. You, you find your own way, and I'm not stopping for that. And so it, it's been nice to be up here with you. I, was, uh, I flew into uh, Great Falls uh, here um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was on the plane with this guy next to me, and we started to chat a little bit, and then, you know, we kind of stopped chatting, and then, uh, you know, we got off the plane, and he, and he says, see you later, I said, okay, you too, and then we're at baggage claim, and he's getting his bag, and I'm getting my bag, and he, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey, do you need a ride? And like, okay, so if you're at LAX, and someone offers you a ride, okay, <laughs> you're going to go down a dark alley, and something very bad's going to happen, okay, so you, you call airport security right away. He just wanted to offer me a ride. You people are so much nicer. So it's good to be with you. Um, so my wife is still figuring out things in Southern California. Um, and uh, so she calls me like two weeks ago, uh, three, about two and a half weeks ago. She calls me and she says, uh, she says I'm stranded. And I'm like, and I'm like a thousand miles away, right? And I'm like, what's going on? I'm stuck in the parking lot. The car won't run. And I don't know what to do. 
So, you know, she gets somebody to help her start the car. It's a, it's a 2005 Chevy Tahoe. It's got 198,000 miles on it. If you don't know cars, that's a lot of miles, okay? And so she's stuck. She gets it started. I call the mechanic from here, who's down there, and I say, hey, can she bring it in? Sure. She goes in there, and he puts a new battery in it. Fine. A couple days later, she calls me again, and she's stuck. And uh, she says, I'm stranded again. And I, and I realize there's this echoing phrase that's going to come back and bite me. This, I'm stranded again. And so we get the car to the mechanic and all that. And then she calls me later and she says, you know, when you come down, we're going to buy another car. And I'm like, we are? I mean, the plan was bring our dented up Tahoe into the snow. Let her drive it around. If she adds a dent, it's okay. Right? It's already got dents. And uh, we'll figure it out for next winter. And, and she says this. She says... Listen, I can do a lot, but I don't do stranded. So that became a very expensive statement for me. So I go down there, and I, we go to, we were shopping around. We figured out the right car. We're buying a used car. And we go to the car lot. We found the perfect car at a great price. And so we actually ended up buying this car. And, uh, and it's got all the things you guys know about. I never knew that heated seats were a thing <laughs> or remote start. It's fantastic. Okay, so... So we get done with the whole sales, and the guy says, hey, what do you do? And I tell him I'm a pastor, and, and he goes, really? And I go, yeah. And he says, I, uh, um, I, he said, I, I'm a Christian too, and I, I prayed this morning. He said, I'm, I'm like the worst, uh, I have the worst results of sales this month, and I asked God to give me a sale today. And I said, uh, I said, we prayed this morning too, actually on the way here. And we said, God, would you give us a good car at a good price? And he looks at me, and he's like, God really answered our, our prayers, didn't he? And uh, like, yeah, he really did. And when I've told that story a couple of times, you know the reaction I've gotten? People say this, well, you're a pastor. God answers your prayers even for things like cars. And maybe you've had that thought too, that you have to be a Christian long enough or, or be a Christian good enough or, or be a, a Christian who gives enough or serves enough for Jesus to answer your prayer. Or even more, we might say, for Jesus to do a miracle in your life. See, we're going to read a story here this morning, and it's not just a story. It's an event that took place. And Jesus does a miracle for someone. But let me tell you, the person doesn't even know who Jesus is. See, it's not that Jesus does, answers prayers or does miracles for pastors or just miracles or answers prayers for those who've been to church and haven't missed a Sunday. I mean, don't miss a Sunday, okay? Show, show up. That's good. But it's not that there's this, earn, this way we earn or that we prove that we're good enough for Jesus to answer. Actually, this man we're going to read about, he didn't really know who Jesus was. And he actually, Jesus asked him a question and he gave Jesus the wrong answer. And Jesus still enters into his life, and brings a miracle. Now, there are different kinds of miracles. There are big miracles. A healing might be typified as a big miracle. And there's sort of small miracles where we don't know how this happened, but somehow Jesus shows up. And I would argue that buying a car and finding a, you know, a, a salesperson who's a Christian and honest and all those kind of things is, is probably not the biggest miracle. There's many car salesmen who are, are good people down there. The reputation is that they're not, but there are many that are. I wouldn't say that's the biggest type of a miracle. But I don't know, maybe, maybe you are at this point where you really need Jesus to show up for you in some way. 
Maybe, maybe it's a big miracle that you really need. Maybe it's a small miracle, but you really need him to show up for you in some way. Listen, you don't have to have been to church forever. Uh, you don't happen to have had a holy weekend, whatever that might look like. Uh, you don't have to have served enough or given enough money. None of those kind of things. So I want to show you how he shows up and what he does when he shows up. And I want to tell you, this is the, when, when we see miracles in the Bible, this is why they're there. I'll show it f- for you. It's in John 20. It's the very end of this section of the Bible called the book of John. Um, and uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can take a look. And uh, I'll read it out loud. You can just follow along. Um, John, the writer of all this, he says, this is why I wrote these down. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That these are signs, and the signs are not signs to other signs, but the signs, the miracles, the answers to prayer, when Jesus shows up, are so that we would recognize that we not only need what he gives us, but we really need him, himself, in our lives as well. Signs that point to a Savior. So, uh, you know what the qualification is to have a miracle? You have to have a problem. A problem that you can't solve. There are problems that you can solve. You should go solve them. God's given you the ability, it's okay. But for a miracle, it's a problem that you can't solve. And so, we're going to look at this miracle. And uh, as we look at it, uh, you might see yourself in it. It's going to be a physical miracle, a physical healing a miraculous healing, and by that we mean it goes against the laws of nature as we understand them, right? It's like there's no other explanation for this other than Jesus showed up and brought the miracle. So here's the qualification for it is that you have a problem you can't solve. Uh, three groups of people that we're going to see in the passage, and then we'll, I'll ask you to stand and read it with me. Um, do you guys stand here? Maybe you don't stand here. You've been standing enough. I'll read it. I'll stand. Um, uh, Three people in the passage. One, a man who has a problem he can't solve. Two is a group of people who believe that problems are solved by rules. And third is Jesus who comes full of grace and full of truth into this man's life. So let me read it for you. It's in John chapter 5. All right, I talked about standing. I feel like I should make you stand. Can you stand with me? All right, you're feeling it too. Some of you just popped right up like, yeah, all right. You don't have to stand for my words ever, okay? But these are, these are God's words. So in John chapter 5, I'll read it out loud. You can follow along, and we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll jump into it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. He didn't even know his name. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. 
For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Go ahead and be seated, and we'll take a, take a walk through this passage. So it begins there at this location in Jerusalem, and uh, it's during a feast. We don't know which feast. I'm, I'm not going to trip over that. Um, we don't know which feast. Jesus went to the feasts and to the gatherings that were in Jerusalem, and they're near the Sheep Gate, and they, they called it the Sheep Gate because that's where they would bring the sheep in to sacrifices in the temple. And uh, there's a pool there and fed by natural springs. Um, and, uh, and here's the thing. Well, I, I can show you pictures of it. Uh, I, I actually visited this place. Um, this is the pool of Bethesda. And, and let me just say something. Um, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they believed that this story in the Bible was a myth, was just a story to illustrate and so criti- critics of the Bible would say, you know what, no one's ever found a pool that could be, um, that fits the description of the pool of Bethesda. See, the Bible's not true. But archaeology is our friend as Christians. So in the 19th century, they started digging here, and guess what they found? Exactly where it was supposed to be, this pool, the pool at Bethesda, fed by a natural spring, that this was a real place where Jesus really walked and where he really did this miracle of healing that we're going to read about or that we have read about. So he's set in this pool, and it's actually down lower than the surface of the city due to history and all kinds of things. But this is the place. You can see the, the pictures there. That's where the, the, the natural spring bubbles up there. And uh, so you, when you think of a pool, though, you might have this image of a pool, right? You go to the pool, and people are in their bathing suits and... You know, maybe there's like, uh, you know, suntan lotion and, ta- you know, towels and, you know, they're having a good time. But this isn't that kind of pool. Everybody here, they're sick. And, and some are, are able to move around, but they might be blind. They might be deaf. Um, some can't even move. And so when you think about this pool, right, not everybody could get up and find their way to the bathroom and, uh, and, and find their way into the pool to bathe. So all of these, these sick and disabled people are all sort of crowded around this pool. Um, and, uh, it, and if you wanted to help someone, you knew where you could go, right? These people really needed help and probably had families that were tired of helping them or they would have kept them in their house, right? At some point, they had worn out their welcome or maybe the families had moved or passed away or something, but they didn't really have anyone to help them. So they're there by the pool, and it's interesting if you noticed in the, as we read through, and maybe you did, in, the, in this passage, uh, it reads verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6. There's no verse 4. It's true in the Bible that you hold as well. And here's why. Because those who wrote the Bible, uh, who compiled the Bible, I should say, uh, were, wanted to be so careful not to include anything that wasn't really what God wanted. So they went to the most ancient manuscripts and they, they wrote them down very carefully. And at some point, somebody had inserted an extra verse to explain why everyone was laying around by the pool. So most historians believe it was probably 
accurate, but you know what? It wasn't in the first sections that God uh, wanted the men to write down. So they said, we better not include it because we can only put in things that we're sure are God's word. I'll read it for you. I won't put it on the screen even because I don't want to give it credence, but here's what it said. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. This is what they believed. So if you've ever seen an underground spring, right, at times bubbles would just come up from a spring into the pool. So they believed from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. That was what they believed. So you can imagine the scene. Somebody sees a bubble come up in the pool and what happens? Everybody's diving Right? Everybody's shoving people out of the way. I've got to get in there because they believe that maybe this time I would finally, finally get healed. At least that's what they believed. But Jesus asked this man in verse 6, did you catch this? He says, do you want to get well? Look, Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't understand something. He asks a question because he wants us to understand something. He says, do you want to get well? This man had been here 38 years or or paralyzed 38 years at least. And I think Jesus asks a question like this because he knows people. See, if he were to get well, there's a whole lot of life changes that were going to have to take place. He's got to go get a job, right? He's got to pay his taxes. He's got to find a place to live. There's all kinds of obligations that come with getting well. Not getting well doesn't have any of those. He stays there. People bring him food. People bring him perhaps money so he could buy something. People care for him and he doesn't have to exert any of his own energy. And look, people who just have need and aren't able to do for themselves, we should meet them with compassion and we should meet all the needs that we can. Absolutely. But Jesus is offering him something more and so he asked the questions, do you really want the change that I will bring? that the healing will bring. Do you really want this? So he says the question, and the man blows the answer. He doesn't say, right? Look, Jesus is looking at a pastor friend of mine. He says it like this. Jesus is looking for a two-letter answer or a three-letter answer. Do you want to get well? The three-letter answer is yes. The two-letter answer is No. But look what he says. Sir, the, uh, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when I, you know, I'm there, I mean, John, I mean, he has legs. And so, so he can actually, he's blind, so he may miss the pool. But he can at least get to the pool. And, you know, and over here, you know, uh, Walt is deaf. But, but, he, but at least he can move. But he doesn't know when everybody's clamoring. And I, don't, I can't get in. I don't have legs that work. And I, he's got all these excuses for why it doesn't work for him. And I don't, I don't blame him. I don't, I don't want to judge him by any means on this. But... But he, he, he totally blows the answer. So I used to work as a, as a therapist, as a counselor. And uh, um, what I figured out is not everybody wants to change. So I had clients that I would meet with week after week. And, uh, and, would, and I would recognize really no change has taken place. So I would give them maybe homework to do between sessions. And they, I can think of a couple of them. They, they would come back the next week. And, and I would say, did you do your homework? And, and they'd say, no. And I'll say, well, was our, was our session helpful? Oh, yeah. Do you think what I asked you to do would have helped and moved things forward? Oh, yeah. But you didn't do it, no. 
And they come back the next week, and we'd meet and talk some more and process some more. And, and I'd say, all right, how, how can we move this forward for you this week? And they'd have some homework, and they'd come back, and I'd say, did you do your homework? And they'd say, no. And then we'd have this pivotal conversation where I would say, I, I don't know if you're really ready to change. I don't know if you really want to grow here. And it would either lead to them. Some cases, they would say, yeah, you're right. I don't. I just want to pay you so I can talk. Sometimes they would leave. And sometimes it would be this breakthrough moment where they say, yeah, I'm afraid of if I really do this, it'll change so many things, even when it's right and healthy and even godly. So can I tell a joke? It's a bit corny. Some of you will tell it to people later. Some of you will just shake your head. That's okay. You can groan if you want to. Here's what it is. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has got to want to change. <laughs> See? Some of you are laughing. I got some chuckles. Some of you are like, all right, that was lame. It was. I admit it. But I don't know if this man was ready to change. And we should just say sometimes we're not ready to change. Sometimes we want God to change things around us. But we're not always sure that we want him to change do the change that we need within us. See, Jesus wants to not just heal him as he did physically. He also wants to get into his soul, get into his heart, and help his heart find the healing and the change as well. So, when you and I complain about things, life, relationships, circumstances, jobs, all kinds of things, we have to come back and say, do I really want to change? Do I really want to get well, be transformed the way Jesus might want to transform me? So he gives the excuse, sir, I have no one to get me in the water and uh, all of that. And, and maybe he's completely helpless and, and Jesus still has a heart of compassion for him. And, and then look what happens in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He doesn't say, do you think healing would help your situation? He doesn't say, um, you know, I'm thinking about healing you, but what do you think? Are you up for that? He doesn't have this conversation with them. He just gives them this, this command to get up. And so we see the healing that takes place with, with whatever was broken and not working. We also see the muscles are instantly transformed into their, being fully usable. Have you ever known someone who had an injury or an illness and they had to learn how to walk again? Right, 38 years, he would have had to learn how to walk again. But when Jesus comes in and heals, right, this is a full healing. This is not only to heal what's broken, but also to enable him to live as he had been created to live, to walk. And it all happens right away. So he says that, and, and he, did you catch this though? He doesn't say, stay there and I'll heal you. He says, get up. You see, what takes place is his healing came with his response. See, sometimes we say, well, you know, my marriage is really struggling and it's really difficult and I just need Jesus to heal the marriage. And you're right, you do, and that's an okay prayer. But sometimes Jesus heals the marriage as we take a step in response to him. As we take a step in response where we say, Jesus, I need you to heal the marriage. And the husband says, I, I, you know what? I'm going to love my wife today. I don't know how, but I'm going to try. 
because it's been so difficult. And as we take the step, he brings the healing. Did you see this? He didn't say, I'm going to heal you, stay there. As he got up, that was his response was, happened at the same time that the healing took place. Or to the wife, my, healing, my marriage needs to be healed. And so I come and bring it to you. And Jesus' response might very well be, I will, I'm healing your marriage. Go respect your husband. Or, or, go, or, or you want your family to be transformed by Jesus. And, and Jesus' word to you is, I am the transformer of families. Quit exasperating your children with all the rules and all the yelling. See, sometimes we need to respond. This man had to respond. I wonder if he, if he would have said to Jesus, no, or I can't. We don't know. It's all conjecture, right? So Jesus meets him in that one step. Jesus heals him. He tells him to take up his mat. And remember the three people in the passage? Someone who has a problem he can't solve. This is the man. And a group who thinks that the way to solve problems is to make more rules. That's the Jews here. Verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. What should they have said? They should have said, this is incredible. This is miraculous. No one has ever seen. We've been walking by him for 38 years. Since he's been lying there paralyzed, I've had my children. My children have grown up and got married, and they've had children, right? I mean, decades he's been laying there. They should have been amazed and excited, but but they were so caught up in their rules. They said, ah, the Sabbath. Now, you know the Sabbath? So uh, God created the world in six days, and it says on that seventh day he rested. And so he said, I'd like you to do the same. Rest from work. Spend time with your family. Spend time in worship. And, uh, and that's a good thing. That's why we're here today. But the Jews thought, we've got to be really, really careful. It says not to work. So work in that day might be like we're harvesting our crops, pulling them out of the ground. So they began to think and say, well, if pulling crops out of the ground is work, and we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath... We better make sure we don't pull anything else out. Because you know what they found out? Can you believe this? Sometimes the women would look in a mirror on the Sabbath and they would see a gray hair and they would pull it out. Just like harvesting out of the ground, the Jews said, well, that's harvesting out of their head. So we better make a rule. I know you would never do that. I wouldn't either. Well, if I did, you'd be like, hey, he's bald now, right? So... So they said, if, if pulling out of the ground is work and pulling a hair out is just like pulling something out of the ground, then we're going to make a rule. Women can't look in mirrors on the Sabbath. And it was like probably a polished metal mirror. That rule after rule after rule. They got so caught up in thinking that life comes from the rules. But life doesn't come from rules. Jesus said, I come to give you life. And their full life, right? Life comes when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives. So they thought rules would solve that. They challenged him. We read this. You know this. Verse 11, he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And, uh, and, and listen, when you, when you decide to live in some area of your life, 
that wasn't honoring Jesus, when you decide to honor him, when you decide to live out the truth of Scripture, you should just know there will probably be someone who will criticize you or will belittle you or will make fun of you. You should just know that that's how these things go because not everyone believes what you believe. And it's okay that they don't. I mean, it's not okay, but it's like that, that, that's just part of the, the life we live. That's why we share with them about our faith. But people will criticize, and that's what they do here. So can I tell you another joke? So it's nice to be up here where you can tell hunting jokes. Uh, in Godforsaken California, you can't talk about these things. But um, uh, two hunters. Hunter number one uh, and hunter number two. Hunter number two always criticizes hunter number one. He always has something negative to say about him. And so hunter number one decides, you know what, I'm going to, I think I've got it. I'm going to create a situation where there's nothing that can be criticized. So hunter number one goes out and gets this amazing hunting dog. So they go out hunting together. And so hunter number one shoots a bird, sends his dog out. The dog goes out across the water on top of the water, runs out across the water, Gets the bird, brings it back. Hunter number two, critical hunter, doesn't say a thing. Hunter number one, nether bird goes by, he shoots it. Dog goes running out on top of the water. Gets the bird, brings it back. Hunter number one says to critical hunter number two, he says, notice anything special about my dog? Some of you are going to tell this later. Hunter number two says, can't swim, can he? (laughs) See? So if there were people in Jesus' life that didn't like him talking about how to have a relationship with God, and there were people who lived in Jesus' time, and there were people who weren't fans of him or the faith that he taught about, then you know what? Maybe for us, we might have that family member or that friend who doesn't understand and who might be critical as well, but that shouldn't change how we've decided to live. Now... This man doesn't even know who Jesus is. All right? He says, I, I, I don't know who it was. But did you catch what happened? Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Jesus gets serious here. Very serious here. Because now that this man is up and around, there are lots of opportunities to sin that weren't available to him before. So if you had read through this whole section, the book of John, we call it in the Bible, I I shared the last verse with you. And let me share one of the verses from the very first chapter. In it, in John chapter 1, the writer John, he describes Jesus. And he says he came with this little tiny phrase, He was full of grace and truth. He was full of both. Full of grace. Grace is God's goodness towards us. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And and certainly its, its ultimate statement is in his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But grace is giving us what we don't deserve. But it says Jesus was full of both. Grace, giving a man a healing who didn't deserve it, and truth telling him that he not only wants to be his healer, 
but that he also wants to be the one that directs his life. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Now, maybe you think of them as two wings of an airplane. I, I don't know what illustration might work for you on that. But we pray prayers like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help my family. Jesus, give me hope because I'm depressed. All, whatever that, all those things are good prayers. Don't, I'm not saying don't pray those prayers. But Jesus comes around with this man too. And he says, listen, I, I, I care about your physical healing and meeting your needs. But I also care about the state of your soul. See, that's the truth part for us to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I pray for you to bring all these things in my life. And, but Jesus, is there something else you want to change about me? Not just the circumstances around me or the people around me or that which I'm struggling with. See, I think sometimes we want Jesus to fix things around us or make life easier for us. And he says, I want to do those things too. But what I really want to do is do the work of heart, do the work of hope, Really do the work of grace in your heart. See, Jesus isn't soft on sin, but he's big on grace. So we get to hold those things together. So he says this to the man. And then, of course, they come after him. And Jesus says this phrase. He says, my father is... This is uh, verse 17. Did you catch this the first time through? Jesus says, my father is always at work and so am I. Always. You know what always means in the Greek? Always? Yep, four years of seminary. Yep, that's why you don't need to go to seminary to understand the Bible. He says, my father is always at work, and so am I. So what does that mean for you today? He's always at work. He's at work right now. He's here right now. He's here with us, and maybe he was even at work to get you here because there's things he wanted you to think about. Wanted you to hear from his word, and, and I'm not saying my words, but maybe his words along the way. If Jesus is always at work, now you may say, well, Jesus healed back then. Does he still do work like that? So let me tell you about my son, Jesse. Jesse was born about five weeks early, uh, and so at that time, this is 24 years ago, uh, at that time, they didn't have all of the things that they would use today to help develop lungs for a premature, uh, prematurely born baby. So he's born, they rush him right into ICU, and, uh, and he's there. He's there for about a week, and we're, of course, worried, and we're praying and all of these things. And uh, so um, the doctor comes to us, and the doctor says, there's lots of words you don't want to hear from the doctor, different phrases, different ways, but she says this. She says, I think it's time to pray. And I'm like, no, no. You go in there and do your doctor stuff. We pray. Because I knew what she was saying. She was saying, we're losing ground here. And unless God answers this prayer of yours, I don't even know if she was a believer of any type. Unless God answers this prayer, your son's not going to make it. I said, can we airlift him somewhere? Is there... And I don't, we don't think he'll survive the helicopter ride. Oh, this is horrific, right? This terrible news. And so we're praying and praying and praying. And the doctors now, they don't want to give us all the information because they're afraid to give hope and all that. So two days later, as we're, you know, we go in every day, how's he doing? How's he doing? And they say, well, I, we think we're going to release him in a, in a couple days. What? And they said, yeah, we can't believe it either. I'm like, what happened? They're like, 
We did all the same treatments, and he just responded to it. So the day that he was discharged, he went right from neonatal ICU out to our car, okay? There was no, like, in a hospital room or whatever. It was from that. And the doctor said this, I can't believe we're sending him home with no instructions. It's like he's totally been healed. So I don't know why Jesus heals some and doesn't heal others. He hasn't answered every prayer of healing that I've had. I know he answers some prayers of physical healing, but I also know this. He answers all prayers of spiritual healing. Did you remember that song, right? I forget the exact phrasing of it, but it's something like, in him all our prayers are yes and amen. Is that right? Close enough. His promises are yes and amen to us. So when we talk about healing, it may be that you need healing physically, and we should pray for that before we leave this room. It might be that you need prayer, and it's not about the healing of something physical. Maybe it's something spiritual or emotional in your life. He always answers that prayer with a yes. Right? He says, let me in. And maybe you've never had a relationship with God through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today's that day where you're ready to say, I, I have been apart from God. My sin is, I know, has separated me from God, and I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ into my life because I want the life he brings and the forgiveness he brings. I'm ready to receive him. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Three types of prayers. One is a prayer of healing. The second is a prayer of kneeling. This is, Jesus, will you change, heal me in some way? The prayer of kneeling is, Jesus, I'm ready to let you bring all the change you want. That's a little bit more of a dangerous one. At least sometimes it feels that way. The third prayer is a prayer of receiving. And so let me invite you to pray with me and our worship team will come back up as we do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you and we can look back at this man who was healed and my son Jesse who was healed. We come back to you and recognize you are the healer and some of us are here, and, uh, and, and where that man didn't respond to you, Jesus, with the right answer, yes, we want to come to you and say yes to you, that yes, we want to get well. And so some of us here are, are like the man. We feel like there's nothing we can do, and there isn't. And so we come and we say, Jesus, we, there's a healing that we need. So we come to you as the healer, as God, who's always at work. So we say, Jesus, will you bring the healing in this room? Will you bring the healing here right now? And then we come to you, Jesus, knowing that for some of us, it's physical healing. But some of us, there's this kind of emotional, spiritual healing because of either what we've done or what has, was done to us or what we experienced And we know there's not that wholeness of heart that you created us to have. So we come and we say, would you bring that healing? Just out of your goodness, out of your grace, out of your compassion, will you heal? We come to you, Jesus, as the Lord over all things. We've seen you heal before. We pray, will you bring those healings that we're seeking you for now, here? And that Jesus, some of us, we come to you when it's not the healing we need, it's a bit of kneeling. That uh, 
that we've been 80% yours, uh, maybe 85%, and to recognize that this, we, we're ready for all the change you want to bring, not just the one area that is so pressing on us today. And so we say, today, we offer you a prayer of, of kneeling to say yes to you, yes to you in our homes and yes to you in our, in our work, yes to you in our, our thought life, Yes to you in our, in our fear. Yes to you in our whatever the things are that maybe we don't even know. But we come to you, Jesus, Lord of all compassion, and say we come to you kneeling, inviting you to change all those things you want within us. Bring all the truth that you want. Bring all the healing that we want. And then last, maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a follower, but you would like to be. This is your prayer. Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you heal me? Will you forgive me? And then pray, I turned from all of my sin and I turn to you. Will you lead me throughout my life? Jesus, we uh, come to you with all these things. We thank you that uh, your heart is for us. And your heart is for our best. So we give all these things to you, recognizing our prayers are weak, our prayers are misworded, but that you can sort all of that out and bring us exactly what we need right where we are. So we just invite you to bring all of that to us. In Jesus' name, amen.